All right, it's good to see all of you again. And uh, if you've got a Bible, we will be on uh, in Luke chapter um, 13. It's going to be around it's on page 872 in the Pew Bible around you if you don't have one with you. I became a father in the spring, in April of 2005. Uh, Haley's going to be 12 next month. That's crazy to me. Time just flies. It goes by so fast. Um, but I still remember the way that, like, you know, she entered into the world. Um, and I still take some shots for it from Sarah. Um, and here's why. It's confession time. This is going to be painful. So there we are. Sarah and I were hanging out in our apartment. We're about three years removed from graduation uh, from Georgia Tech, who in about five minutes is, or right now is playing Belmont Go Jackets. Um, that was for you. Um, but uh, we're sitting there, we're hanging out in our apartment uh, in Atlanta, and uh, we're watching, it's a Friday night, we're watching Rain Man, I'd never seen that movie before, we're watching Rain Man, um, and just kind of hanging out, and so Sarah goes into labor, and so Sarah's timing her contractions and all of that, and I'm trying to kind of help with that, but I've never seen Rain Man, and so... <laughs> And so I'm really into it, and so I'm trying to multitask, you know, it's early, it's early, you know, you're okay, you're okay, I'm watching Rain Man, hang in there, it's, I want to make it to the end, hang on, hang on, hang on, and, and she does, she holds on till the movie's over, I was very happy about that, but then just as soon as the movie ends, she's like, we've got to go, and I said, oh, okay, but I've got to pack. Because, you know, like if you have a baby, they tell you weeks in advance, once you get in those last three weeks, make sure that you've got a bag ready, that you are ready to go as soon as she, you know, as soon as that happens so you can take off to the hospital. And so that movie ends and she's ready to go. And I'm like, you're going to you got to hang on another minute. I, I got to go pack. All right. Then we get in the car. And now we get in the car and we start, I fire that thing up and, and, and look at the gas gauge and it's, the light's on. <laughs> and so we start driving. I'm like, hey, babe, I love you. Um, I got to get gas. And if looks could kill, her eyes turned into nuclear bombs. We got gas, you know, and we, we headed off and, and we made it finally. I was, you know, praise the Lord that uh, I didn't have to deliver Haley on the side of 285. We made it to Northside Hospital um, and it all worked out. But, but, but my point in kind of telling you that is that my problem was that I wasn't ready. I, I wasn't prepared. I, I didn't prepare for that moment. Like I knew it was coming. I mean, we, this is going to just, I'm losing respect this morning. It's okay. She was a week late and I still wasn't prepared. Okay. So I knew it was coming, but I still wasn't prepared. It snuck up on me. And like I said, it worked out okay. But when we come to the other end of life spectrum, not birth, but talking about death, when we come to the end of that, if we're not prepared for that moment, it's not going to work out okay. And that's kind of the message that Jesus has for us in Luke chapter 13 this morning. 
what we're going to see here is we don't have the mystical, cute and cuddly Jesus who's just sprinkling pixie love dust on everybody here and telling them, you know, you're uh, good enough, you're smart enough, doggone it, people like you. What we have here is the real Jesus, fully God, fully man, who because of his holiness and his grace and his mercy and his love won't lie to us and tell us, hey, it's all good but looks us right in the eyes with tears welling up in his eyes and pleads with us that there is eternal life that can be found in him. But outside of him, there's eternal death and only eternal death. And so he gives us a strong warning to repent or perish. And listen, I want to say this, especially if you are a guest at Providence this morning and you're like, oh, here we go. Hellfire and Brimstone, Southern Baptist Church. How typical is this? I'm not a Hellfire and Brimstone guy, not because I don't believe that. I absolutely do. Hell is a real place. Very real, very horrible. But I don't use scare tactics, all right, because that's not how it works. Heaven is not designed for people who fear hell, all right? Heaven exists for people who love God and want to spend eternity with Christ. That's what heaven's for, not for people who want to avoid hell. And so I don't try to scare anyone into heaven because you can't do that. It doesn't work that way. Manipulation isn't conversion. So you can't scare anyone into the kingdom of God. That's not what's going on here this morning. What's going on here this morning is that we're just going to take King Jesus at his word. And his word to us is be ready. Repent. Or perish. And this is a word we all need to hear. If you are not yet a Christian, this is Jesus pleading with you. If you are a Christian, what you need to hear is that there are people perishing. Your family, your co-workers, your neighbors, this community of no one's this world of eight billion people. And we're here on this earth to, to fulfill God's mission of making disciples who worship Him and this saves people. Like Jesus deserves worship, and this is good for people made in His image. They come to Christ. They know Him. They're saved. And so we need to hear all of this wherever you're at. So Luke chapter 13, page 872. Look at verse 1. We're really just going to camp out on one point. I don't have like three points in a poem. One point. Repent or perish. So we'll just go back verse by verse. Look at it with me. There were some present at that very time. So Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's making his way. People are coming around him. He stops and he preaches. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And so just stop right there because this is an unbelievably violent and evil thing that is taking place right here. What's going on here is you've got some Galilean worshipers who are presenting sacrifices, all right? And 
Romans bust in, slit their throats, and mingle their blood with the blood of these sacrifices, whether that's pigeons or doves or lambs or whatever's going on, just come in, slit their throats, and mingle their blood together. It would be the equivalent of the ATF busting in here. You guys on the back row, sorry, but they cut your throats, and we're having communion, say, and they come up and they run your blood out into the communion cups. That's kind of what's going on here. And so these folks come running up to Jesus saying, hey, did you hear what happened to some of your fellow Galileans? Because Jesus was from Galilee. And Jesus turns to them and says, verse 2, look at it with me. And he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? And so these folks didn't say it in, right, like outright, but Jesus, because of his response, we can see that he is obviously picking up on an underlying um, premise that they've got. All right, an underlying horrible theology, a horrible theology that was very prominent and popular then and now. It's a theology where if you're good, good things will happen to you. But if bad things are happening to you, that means you've got some sort of horrible sin hidden in your life, wickedness, because it'll only happen to, to bad people. And so these guys here are going all loony Pat Robertson on people who said horrible things about Katrina and the tsunami that hit Thailand, the earthquake that hit Haiti. And Jesus is just kind of setting them straight. You think you're better than them because those things didn't happen to you? I mean, he's just mocking this horrible theology of just essentially a baptized karma. Good things happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people. And my question on that, like even we could go in and just mine that thing out and just destroy it, given some biblical text, but just thinking about that for a moment. If you hold to that line of thinking, do you have eyeballs and ears? Do you have a television in your house? Do you have a radio in your car? Bad things happen to good people all the time. You can just see this. We live in a fallen world, not a karma world. And so Jesus mocks this line of thought and says, and he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Again, this isn't cute and cuddly Jesus that people try to remake him into. This is ferocious Jesus. Repent or perish. Look at verse 4. Or those 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And so first you've got this terrible atrocity that happens with the Roman ATF busting in, cutting throats. And then you've got a tragic accident probably a construction accident where they're building a tower to work on the 
aqueducts that take water to the famous pool of Siloam, where, which is mentioned in John chapter 9. It's where the man who's born blind goes to, to wash, which ironically, the disciples had this same little uh, baptized karma theology initially because they asked Jesus, hey, who sinned that this man was born blind? Him or his parents? And Jesus again shows them, "Uh uh-uh, it doesn't work that way. In this instance, this man was born blind so that the glory of God could be made known. So they could do something awesome through this man's life. And so for those of you who are going through something and you don't understand necessarily what it is, the, the man born blind does not tell us his age, but the indication is that he'd been blind for years and years and years and years and years with no understanding, no why. Why? He found out decades later. And so if you're in it, stay in the saddle. Keep going. All right. Back to the ranch, though. You've got this terrible atrocity. Now we've got this tragic accident. And in both of these, Jesus is just blowing up the idea that extraordinary tragedy signifies extraordinary guilt. Instead, what he's trying to get us to see is that the folks in these tragedies, okay, their sin was not extraordinarily horrible. It was ordinary horrible, just like yours, just like mine. And so what should amaze us then as equal sinners, equal, is not that some people go through tragedy and suffer and die but that He's given us a day longer to repent. He's being patient with us. As one commentator put it, the fact that we are all sinners and in need of repentance, all deserving of punishment and all preserved from the wrath of God, at least until judgment day, purely is purely by His mercy. And Jesus is telling us that 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 mercy is there, that that patience, that waiting. He's given us another day. But if we don't repent. We, too, will experience a horrible end. Every single one of us. No, I tell you, verse five, but unless you repent, you will all. Every single one of us, all likewise, perish. And so let's chat about that likewise for just a minute. Likewise, obviously, cannot mean that all all unrepentant people are either going to have their throat slit or have a tower fall on them. All right. Most of us are not going to go out that way. So what does likewise mean? I think what Jesus is getting at here with the word likewise is these people didn't think that they were going to die this this day. It snuck up on them. They thought that they had years and years, just like the folks who were driving to the Twin Towers on a beautiful September morning 16 years ago. That was just a normal day. Alarm clock went off. They got their coffee. They drove to work. They go up in the towers. They're working away, working away. Bang! And then the modern day tower of Siloam fell. Death snuck up on them. They didn't know it was their day. 
And I think that's what Jesus is saying with the word likewise here. He's saying you don't know when it's going to be your time. Death will sneak up on you just like it did these folks. Everything else sneaks up on us, right? I mean, I just talked about how at the beginning, Haley's 12. How did that happen? That has snuck up on me, right? I'm... It feels like, and some of you guys are going to be like, it looks like too, I just graduated from high school. <laughs> but I'll have my 20th year reunion this year. How did that happen? This year, I, I'm one year shy of having been a Nashvillian for a decade. How did that happen? Right? Things go fast. Things sneak up on us. And even if the Lord doesn't take us out early, which He can, but even if He doesn't, with the way things sneak up on us and time flies so fast, it'll be no time at all. We'll have given no thought. We'll be 90 years old, Chuck Berry, and dead. Unless He takes us out earlier. Just this week, one of my best friends from Pine Log Elementary School on Thursday lost his dad to a massive heart attack. No markers, no signs, no nothing. So dad, his dad goes to bed. Everything's good to go Thursday night. All right, life's good for Brandon. And then early Friday morning, he gets a phone call from his mom. Brandon, sit down. Daddy's gone. And y'all pray for them, the summies. And so you don't know. It could happen at any time. And if you're not prepared, like these guys, these Galileans and then the people who had the tower fall on them, if you're not prepared, Jesus is saying, not me. Jesus is saying, you're going to perish. And again, this word perish, it doesn't mean that, you know, we're all going to either have a tower fall on us or have our necks cut. What it means is that if we're unprepared, we will suffer the wrath of God against our sin forever and ever. That's what perish means. I mean, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Or John 10, 28, Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they shall not perish forever. And so in John 3, 16, you've got perishing as the alternative to having everlasting life. Here, John 20, 10, 28, I give them eternal life and they shall not perish forever. Perishing is the opposite of eternal life. 1 Corinthians 1, 18, the word of the cross is folly for those who are perishing but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. And so perishing is the opposite of being saved. 1 Corinthians 15, 18, Paul says, If Christ has not been raised, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And so in other words, perishing is something that happens beyond the grave. And then when you couple that with Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, which says, It's appointed unto men once to die, and after that comes the judgment. 
And then Matthew 25, where Jesus describes the judgment as a separation of the sheep and the goats. One will go away unto eternal punishment and one into eternal life. Like when you pull all of that together, perishing, the way the New Testament uses the word perishing is for the eternal punishment of God against an individual's sin. Eternally. Unless they repent. Now that, this is how serious sin is. And unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. But folks, hear the good news. All that bad news is unless you repent. Unless. So there's a way that it can be not that way. By repenting. And so repent. All right? And what is repentance? Literally, it's turning. It's turning from your sin and it's turning to God. It's turning away from your sin and it's turning to Christ. One former pastor put it this way. I like it because it's rhythmic. Repentance is when we agree with God about our sin, grieve it, decide to leave it, and flee to Christ to cleanse it. All right? It's where we agree with God about our sin, we grieve it, decide to leave it, and flee to Christ to cleanse it. Kent Hughes puts it like this. It's a change of mind that brings a change of actions. So it's not just going through the motions. It's agreeing with God that this is sin. So it's confession. And then it's grieving it. It's being sorry for what we did. Feeling the weight of the sin that we've committed against God. So you've got confession and contrition. And then deciding to leave it. Change. Confession, contrition, change. And then fleeing to Christ to cleanse it. Okay? So cleansing, confession, contrition, change, and cleansing. That's what repentance is all about. And so let's finish this up and, and try to bring it together. Look at verse 6 with me. He told in this parable, A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now, I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year until I dig around it. Put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year. Note, note this. Then if it should bear fruit next year. Well and good. But if not. You can cut it down. And friend, that if, if not, is still open to you. Like that question is open. We don't find out what happened. Did it mature? Did it grow? Did it produce fruit? Right? It's just left there. And Jesus did that deliberately, leaving it here, leaving it open for you because you are the fig tree. Friend, without Christ, you are the fig tree. And God is both the owner of the vineyard and the vine dresser. He plays both parts in this parable. 
So he's both the guy who says, I've been waiting, nothing's happened, cut it down, but then in patience, let's give it more time. Like there's wrath in God towards the belittling of His name, towards your sin, because that's what sin is. It's what it does. It belittles God. Sin is what you do when you're not satisfied in God. And so there's wrath there, but there's also patience there, saying, give Him more time. Give him more time. And if you're not a Christian this morning, you need to understand even this moment, Jesus is giving you more time. Like you're here. He's giving you more time. He's wooing you. He's calling you to himself. That's why you're here. He wants to save you. Friend without Christ. He's calling you. Repent. Receive Him. He's giving you time. He's not pouring out wrath yet. That day's coming, but it's not here yet. He's being patient. He's waiting. He's holding out grace. Because though He knows full well everything about you, every thought you've ever had, every act of rebellion, every God-belittling moment in your life, knowing all all of that, before it ever happened 2,000 years ago, Jesus, knowing all of it, went to the cross for you. Knowing all that. And so even as we talk about all of this wrath and about all of this judgment of God, which we deserve because we're sinners, even as we talk about all of this and what we deserve, that only serves to show and highlight the grace and the mercy of God. Because the thing that's so astounding about the gospel, all right, that, that makes it just mind-blowing news, is not that God has this wrath, but that He would save us. Like he's, Wrath, of course, He's holy, He's good, He's perfect. We're not. That's justice. But then... He gives us grace. He gives us mercy to anyone who would repent and believe. That's the Christian message and that's what's so astounding about it. We don't get what we deserve if we trust Christ. Jesus got what we deserve. He takes our place. The Father treats Jesus as if He lived our lives. So He can treat us as if we had lived Jesus' life. And so, friend, if you're not a believer, Jesus is calling you right now. And so the reality is that some of you walked in here this morning not ready, not prepared. Death might sneak up on you and you're not ready. But the good news is you don't have to leave that way. You don't have to leave that way. If you repent of your sin, turn from sin, turn to Jesus and place your faith and your hope and your trust in him and in what he's done, not what you do, but what he did. If you will do that, that moment that you make that choice, that you make that decision, you will walk from spiritual death to spiritual life. Jesus calls it being born again. The debt that you owe for your sin will now have a great big stamp across the invoice that says paid in full. Jesus paid it. 
and it's gone. Jesus has taken the wrath that you deserve. The threat of perishing is gone. Jesus has taken it away. And so you have a choice to make that Jesus holds out. Repent and believe and have everlasting life. Or don't. And perish. That's a hard word. But that's Jesus' words. But God so loved the world that he sent Jesus, right? So that whosoever would believe might not perish. Might not perish. Don't have to. But have everlasting life. So repent. Believe. And live eternally. Abundantly now and forever then. Repent. Let's pray. Father, sometimes your words are hard to hear. We don't like to hear them because we live in this little bubble of American life where everybody pretends that everything's okay and we just, our mantra is comfort, 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 comfort. We want comfort. We want pleasure. We want what we want. But Father, teach us to number our days. Teach us to know We don't know when the day is coming. They're all already numbered. You, before we were ever born, you set them out. And each day that goes by, we're getting closer to that day. And it's only your mercy and your grace that you haven't taken us out yet. And so, Father, help us. Help us to realize, those of us who aren't yet Christians in here, help us to realize that we don't know when you might come again. Or when you might take us home. And we need to be ready. And we can be. You gave your life for us, Christ. You gave your life. And those of us who are believers, let us be impacted that the world they do not know you as good and awesome of a person as they may be, as kind and, and, and fun-loving and just we love being around them. We enjoy them. We appreciate them very much. But outside of you, still, the end is perishing, God. Let that burden us. To not want to see our friends perish. To not want to see our families perish. To not want to see our co-workers perish. To not want to see our neighbors that we love so much here and no one's will perish. Help us, God. For your glory, you deserve worship. Because you alone are God. In Jesus' name, amen.